0: Welcome to Buff Stampede Radio. A voice that I always enjoy to my love for review this weird sound. <laughs> of course, it's Adam Monster, but you can't put that kind of pressure on the team. We're
1: so sick of hearing Dan, reading Dan Hoffman's quotes, listening to Dan Hoffman's audio. And we've got a job to do. I edit go out there every day and present you know the material. Just,
2: you can't just
0: cover spring ball without with with ignoring everything. Welcome back to Buff Stampede Radio. William Whalen here with Ryan Konigsberg and Adam Munster-Tiger. We're talking basketball for the Buffs right now. The season's starting just a few days away. Uh, And, of course, news breaking on Monday morning that Chris Jenkins, redshirt freshman uh, forward, has left the program that, of course, puts the Buffs one spot under their 13 limits for scholarships, um, and frees up, I guess, a rotation spot for somebody that was, you know, I when looking at Jenkins, frankly, you think about Trayshawn Fletcher and the role that Fletcher is probably going to play uh, increasing this year. And, you know, frankly, the way it looked in practice is Fletcher was already starting to move his way up. So, you know, I, there's a lot of discussion on Jenkins. Make sure to head over to buffstampede.com's message board to read more. We've got all your updated as we broke the story Monday morning. With Jenkins leaving, I think it brings up a really interesting question, guys, on the rotation for this team and how it's going to look. Boyle said Monday morning that he was pretty darn sure of his top four being kind of locked in the starting spots, with Spencer Dinwiddie, of Booker, Xavier Johnson, and Josh Scott. And that fifth spot is likely going to be distributed between Wes Gordon and Dustin Thomas depending on the matchup with the opponent. And so you've that essentially works out your top six. Now is where it gets interesting. Now is where it gets murky. What's number seven? What's number eight? Number nine? Number 10? You know, how is it going to look after that? So, guys, I'm interested to see your thoughts. Once the first five is now developed, well, first of all, do you agree with the first five? Should that you know, if say West Gordon nabs that fifth spot, are you comfortable with that starting lineup? If you are CEU fan, or would you like to see Thomas in there instead of Gordon?
1: No, I, I like that Tad Boyle is smart enough to know that matchups should dictate that because I think between West Gordon and Dustin Thomas, their skill sets are so different, but they can both bring equally va- equal value to the, to the floor that being able to kind of match up there. If one of those guys was kind of a guy like Eskia when he was a true freshman, you could say that'd be a perfect guy off the bench as an energy guy. Then you then you kind of go with that role. But I think with Dustin Thomas being a knockdown shooter and Wes Gordon being kind of an intangibles type of guy, that you you kind of roll with, um, you know, who you're playing, that, that you know, how big you need to be basically. And,
0: and and size really matters with this team, Adam, because, you know, matchups wise, they don't have a whole lot of depth at Really at the center position because it's Ben Mills, Josh Scott, and Wes Gordon. Dustin Thomas could do it a little bit, but he's only—he's really 6'7 and more of a perimeter guy.
1: Would, would you yeah. categorize Dustin Thomas as a wing or a big?
0: I would categorize him as a wing. Because mm-hmm. traditional wings can play inside as well. And Dustin Thomas can.
2: Yeah, I, I, the way I look at it, I understand going with the matchups I'm just more comfortable with Wes Gordon starting because you keep everyone at their natural position. Yeah. And, you know, you get to have Xavier Johnson at a three, Wes Gordon at a four, Josh Scott as a five. When you bring in Dustin Thomas into that starting lineup, then you're moving, you're probably moving Xavier Johnson to the four. Absolutely. And then you start- It worked last year. It It did work, but then you start kind of getting into that whole thing where Austin Dufault spent his whole career- being a tweener... He was a five at one point, though. That was a, an incredible stretch. That's not quite
1: as much. Just moving X to the... Yeah, X. no. Xavier Johnson, by the way. <laughs> what did
2: I say? Xavier. Uh, it's the same thing. But, but he, he, <laughs> he doesn't like it. He told okay. me that. Okay. Sorry, Xavier. Right, right. <laughs> Anyways. Say professional, guys. I like, keepi- I like keeping that starting lineup <laughs> together, and then you experiment later yeah. in the game with matchups.
0: Okay. Yeah, I mean, I could... Ultimately, I think all six of those guys are going to play relative starter minutes. I mean, they're all going to be playing a lot of minutes. Behind that, who do you want coming in as your first backup point guard? Jerron Hopkins or Xavier Talton? Is it Xavier Talton? I think it is. Yeah. Xavier Talton.
2: So they're both pronounced the same way. There's no, no... Xavier. Okay. Xavier Talton. That's my man coming off the bench as the
1: backup point guard. I'm I'm more on edge because of the Roberson Ruberson thing. Like for some reason I'm just oh, we're, kind of, we're still talking about names over here. <laughs> I just I don't know if a, if a football team has 85 to 105 if you count the walk-ons. A basketball team has what nine guys, ten guys that play. Learn to pronounce their names. All right. <laughs>
0: So, anyways, back to things that matter. Xavier Talton or Jerron Hopkins as your back. Xavier
1: up. Talton for sure. I think he has been the most improved player from a year ago when he stepped foot on campus to today. He is um, more. He just more solid, more consistent, and he's a guy that if he's open, can knock down an open jump shot. He's not going to be a great shooter per se, but Jerron Hopkins is a liability in that sense.
0: He is. Yeah, and defensively. Talton has the advantage for sure. Who do you want coming in at your two-guard spot? Because that's where things get interesting because Hopkins can play that, and you can even push Dinwiddie to that spot.
1: Yeah, I I think because Dinwiddie and Eskia Booker are going to play so many minutes, you have Xavier Talton, a solid backup that's going to play a lot of minutes. I think with Jerron Hopkins, you kind of recruited him as a combo guard.
2: That would be your guy.
1: Yeah, I agree. And I he's agree. not much of a shooting guard, but he can play the two.
2: Yeah, and he – yeah. And, and the, the fun thing for Tad Boyle with this experience is he can get creative. We were talking about it before the show. Treshawn Fletcher might even be able to slide in there.
0: I love him as a two guard.
2: Yeah. I really do.
0: And and that brings us to that three spot that has so many guys there behind XJ. You've got a Treshawn Fletcher. You've got – you know, Dustin Thomas will come into that role and slide – XJ to the four, um, but between George King, TreShaun Fletcher, those are your two main reserve wings. Which ones do you feel more comfortable with at this point?
2: Uh, I definitely want TreShaun in there, and it's it's kind of interesting with with Chris Jenkins leaving because it it almost clears things up in there. There almost was not enough minutes. To go around in that group of wings. Now at this point, you 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 look at Trayshawn Fletcher. That's, in my opinion, that's your guy going in there at the three. Even though, like we said, he can go in at the two. Um, he's gonna go in there at the three in the the most important minutes of the game when you know uh, Xavier Johnson isn't playing that position. And
0: of course, Dustin Thomas will slide in at that role too. So I almost in this offense. In this system, the only guy that I look at as a true four is Wes Gordon. Because mm-hmm. everybody else can play the three or the four with XJ and the rest. I guess the thing is, is what do you want out of your four spot? You know, do you want – do you need offense? Because that's the thing. In a starting lineup, Spencer Dinwiddie, Ezekiel Booker, Xavier, John, Xavier Johnson, and Josh Scott, <laughs> you don't need anyone else – you don't need anybody else that it's a score first guy. You you always want guys that are on the on the floor to be capable, and Wes Gordon is capable, but he just brings that different mindset to the floor than the other four guys. So I view him as a very valuable asset in that way, a guy that you really need to, to cultivate a spot for. And here's the most interesting question on the team, in my opinion. No no question, this is the most interesting spot. When Josh Scott gets in foul trouble. Do you slide west to the five and play small, or do you go with Ben Mills? If you need 12 minutes on any given night, on a certain night, who are you going with?
1: Uh, part of it depends who you're playing and you know how big they are. I actually would lean a little bit towards Ben Mills. I really, I'm higher on his game than a lot of people are. I think he's got a skill set that uh, he's not going to be a huge liability out on the basketball court for your team. I really don't think so. Is he going to be a big body and force her down in the paint? Obviously not. But he's a guy that can, you know, if, if they give him an open shot 15 feet in, he can knock that down. He can grab a loose rebound. He can do some of those small things. He does not deserve, I don't think, 12 minutes a game. But if you needed to plug him in for a three, four-minute stretch in a game, he would do okay.
0: So, so if you need twelve minutes out of uh, a secondary guy at the center spot, are you going with Wes?
1: I, w- I would, even give, if you're
0: playing Arizona State.
1: No, I, w- I would give I would give Ben Mills a few minutes, but I, w- I couldn't give him twelve minutes.
2: Uh, if you're going against Arizona State, I don't think you have a choice. Um, if they're going to put Bujinski in there, you have to put Ben Mills up yeah. there because Wes Gordon, he's a, he's a good defender. And he's going to hold his own a lot in the Pac 12 this year. But he wouldn't be able, I don't think he would be able to go one on one with Jordan Baczynski. I think there's too much of a difference in height there. And, and Baczynski's a, a big, strong guy, too. So it's not like Wes is going to be able to body him around.
0: Yeah. Yeah, I would agree. Well, so, wait,
2: so are you going with Ben?
0: I, I'm going with Ben Mills in that situation. Because, you know, at the very least, Ben Mills is a walking five fouls. He's a walking five fouls, yep. and you know what? Against uh, Baczynski, against big guys, you can't have too many. That's Adam. You know this better than anyone. This is what the Celtics did to throw at the Lakers in the finals. They just signed big men. They they signed an extra fifteen fouls a game to throw at the Lakers in the finals. And you see teams do this. You know they. You Shane Harris Tunks was so valuable. Because he would come in and he would just hammer someone twice a game. Hammer someone twice a game. And instead of a dunk or a layup, it would be free throws. And, you know, maybe he makes the free throws. But number one, you made him earn it. And free throws take two free throws, with generally with subs and everything, is about a 45-second long process. Maybe even a minute sometimes. That's an extra minute breather for Josh Scott, for West Gordon, last year for Andre Robertson. I mean, these things also, you know, the little things like that come into play with having an extra guy like Ben Mills in there. It, we're we're going to find out this question, I think, a lot on Friday mm-hmm. with Baylor's front line because, guys, this, this is one of the better front lines in the country. Ricardo Gathers is one of the better reserve front line guys you will see anywhere. Corey Jefferson is going to be an NBA player next year. I mean, he is a body and a half, and he's athletic as all get-out. And then you have kind of that X-Factor guy in Isaiah Austin, who really did nothing against the Buffs last year. Josh Scott really dominated him throughout the game. But nonetheless, it's a front line that is diverse. Uh, Ish Wainwright coming in from Kansas City, he's a thick body. These guys can play, and so I'm interested – when we are going to see them go against a team like this, you know, obviously they're going to be keys to foul Francis. They're going to go up against teams with really great backcourts as well. Oklahoma State comes to mind. Kansas comes to mind with their wings. What are the keys for this team to kind of survive the non-conference slate? Because this is the toughest one that Boyle will likely have ever played. What's the key for this well, team? First, it says on our production plan, what's the key not to underachieve? I think we should set the baseline. What would be underachieving in this non-conference?
2: More than three losses, I think. So you're you're saying... Three losses is the baseline. If you go under it, you're underachieving, I think.
0: And anything less than three should be looked at as a real success. Yes. I think three losses is a success.
2: So you think they lose... To Baylor, Kansas, and Oklahoma State—that's and a you success. can walk
0: away feeling okay because you still beat Harvard.
2: Well, you walk away feeling okay, but you don't feel that. That's what I'm saying. It's the baseline. That's average. That's what you should.
0: Expect. Well, yeah. So anything less is underachieved,
2: and anything more is over. Yeah. And you're still even with those
1: three losses in terms of RPI. You're still looking at it pretty good, <laughs>
0: and you've got RPI. ten out of conference wins.
1: Yeah. yeah, that's that's not a bad baseline to go off of right there. Um,
0: you know, I, I. Is Baylor
2: has there a line yet on no. this game?
0: No, I don't okay. think a line has come out. Do you it's, think it's Baylor's going to be favored, basically? Yeah. Right. I think they're going to be slightly favored. Yeah,
2: yeah. Baylor minus two, or.
1: And obviously, Kansas will be big favorites. What are they favored by seven or eight over
0: Harvard at home? Um. She's so probably with home court. They're probably favored by seven. Uh, with Kansas, they're probably. Eight point yep. dogs. So yeah. So Can't if you,
1: Oklahoma State, what, what do you think in that game?
0: Oklahoma State neutral court, they'll probably. I think that'll I'd be around
2: six or seven. I
0: was gonna say five or
2: six. Yeah. Okay.
0: So I mean, if depending on three, how they do leading so up. So if to you that, lose three
2: games, you lost the three games that
0: you Vegas were quote said unquote you were gonna, supposed to lose. Yeah.
2: yeah.
1: And, and this team, if you look back historically, loses one more. One that. They're not supposed to, and, and if, if you look on the flip side, maybe they win one of those where they're not expected right. to necessarily win with the yeah. odds makers. Um, I, I'd say uh, you know, kind of that th- that three loss mark is kind of what you're looking at. Yeah,
0: yeah, because that's the thing. You can live with losing those three games. Since Har- Harvard's a really good team, but since they're at home, that's a game that you look at and say, if Colorado is where they think they are or where they're trying to be, you don't lose that game. If they are where they think they are right now, you, you go into a hostile environment 60 miles north in Fort Collins and you win. You beat Georgia at home. You take care of Wyoming finally. I mean, those are games that you just win when you are where Colorado thinks they are. Um, so so I think underachieving is 9-4. and four. Yeah. Or anything worse.
1: Um, and and so. nine and four is pretty amazing. Of, of you know, it's a testament of where this program is coming into the season. Yeah. Given how tough their non conference is,
0: is the sky falling at nine and four? No, no, no. But it's it's not where I think everybody thought this team should be. You know, because a lot of a lot of people are talking about beating Kansas in Boulder. You know, the reality was last year's Kansas team was not as talented as this year's team.
1: Yeah, Go to okay. Google and, and type in Wiggins and go to YouTube and then yeah. you'll find out why. <laughs> go to
0: Google and type in Joel Emblett. Go to Google and type in Wayne Seldon. And Perry Ellis is going to play yeah. more this year. I mean, this team is loaded, like actually loaded. Like it's scary to think about the amount of talent on that team. And this is a team that Colorado, like it, for people that weren't in Lawrence last year, yeah. Colorado was not only mentally defeated. They were tiny, they were skinny, they were slow, they were weak compared to that Kansas team in every aspect of the game. They were beaten down and taken hostage.
2: Yeah, but I really do believe they fell victim to that atmosphere very hard. And I think they that, have. I think that contributed to they're going to play better
0: this year. I, I don't think there's any question. Yeah, they're not going to lose by thirty-six.
2: No, I mean, but, but you have like Xavier Talton and Eli Stahls are bringing the ball up in that game and just getting hawked by those literally. defenders. <laughs> but, a, uh, God.
0: That's a sound effect. <laughs> <laughs> you know,
1: I mean, that was, that was a great game plan. Spencer Dinwiddie was not going to beat the Kansas
2: Jayhawks in Lawrence last year. No. and in the, in the, I mean, the, when he
0: went down, it was game over.
2: Also, game you know, over. last year you probably would have thrown Andre Robertson. On Wiggins, if Wiggins is what Wiggins is expected to be, this year you you don't have that lockdown guy where you can say we're no. going to throw him on you and you're not going to beat us with that guy.
0: Yeah. Well, so we, we... Real quick, what... I mean, what is it... I guess the question is this. If this team underachieves, what kind of... Things what we've seen from them in the non Conference
2: is it going to be defense? Is it going to be
0: offense? What do you
2: think? I think the pr- if the key to them not underachieving, which is what the production yeah. plan says, is leadership. I really, really believe that Spencer and Witty has to step up and be that guy. He has to be the guy when they need him most, and he's been good at that. And he also has to be the guy when they when they aren't in the direst of situations. He needs to be. He, he it needs to be Spencer Dinwiddie's team, and strictly Spencer Dinwiddie's team, and he needs to dictate the pace of the game, and you know what, how much his teammates are contributing. He has to be a leader, because the team is going to look to him every single time. Every single time something goes wrong, and he has to be there. He has to be there to to make sure that to keep it together.
1: Yeah, for my keys not to underachieve, it's guys finding their role. Obviously, those first four guys that Tad Boyle knows about and can lean on, know their role. It's the other guys and not trying to do too much and kind of playing within the framework of what they're trying to do. You know, I think Wesley Gordon is a guy that will know his role. I don't think he'll try to venture too far outside of that, but you have these true freshmen that are going to be in the mix that were the man you know, last year in high school and all of a sudden they have a different role. I think Xavier Talton um, as much improvement as, you, as he showed last year is going to be thrust more into the spotlight in terms of that backup point guard we would expect. So I think just those guys, those other guys, the non-four guys, figuring out their roles early on in the season because yeah. sometimes if they don't know, there's, there's not continuity on the floor that you would want. I agree.
0: And, guys, I think it's time to go on record. I mean, I think it's time for us to go on record about the non so We'll We'll talk more about expectations for Pac-12 season as that approaches in January. Because, I mean, there's so much to talk about with this season that we can't do it in one 30-minute slot. We couldn't even do it in one 60 minute slot. So it is time to go on record. Do the Buffs win a game that they're not supposed to, i.e., Baylor, Kansas,
2: Oklahoma State? I think they'll get one, one of those three.
0: Go on record. Which one? Uh, oh, yeah. Putting you on the spot, man. You got to come up with something here.
2: All right. If they're going to win one, then it's going to be Oklahoma State. It's going to be Oklahoma State because, now don't get too excited when I say this. It's because Tad Boyle is a much, much, much better coach than Travis Ford is. The name, just
0: (laughs) everything about his name. Makes me so angry. (laughs) I can't even tell you how angry. Adam, if do they win one game enough? I think we
1: might be in agreement here. I'm going to give them the Oklahoma State game. I think they lose to Kansas by about eight points at home, and I think they lose a heartbreaker this Friday against Baylor.
0: I'm I'm actually going to go with Oklahoma State as well for one reason. Spencer Dinwiddie is equipped to defend Marcus Smart. Yep, he's strong. He's quick. He's long. He is a really good matchup for Colorado against Marcus Smart. Another thing, Oklahoma State is one of the worst defensive rebounding teams in the country, despite their athleticism. Colorado, last year, their two leading offensive rebounders, not, not Andre Robertson, who almost led the country in rebounding, it was Josh Scott and Xavier Johnson. Josh Scott averaged more offensive rebounds than he did defensive. He is a monster at opportunistic rebounding on the offensive end. I think the Buffs cream Oklahoma State on the glass. I really do. Now, I've been going back and forth on Friday all week. I mean, to be honest, I think they win two of the games that they're not supposed to. Before the show, I said I thought Baylor was going to win. But the more I think about it, I think Colorado wins two of those games. But I, I – I, and this was the next question. Do they well, drop a game they're not supposed to? And I think they do. Yeah, I agree. Maybe them? CSU. I think it's going to be – to be honest – I think Harvard has all the makings of that game. I think they lose to Harvard at
2: home. I, I don't think they're. I think this is going to be the year that they don't drop the one that they're supposed to, because CSU is not a very good basketball team.
1: For no, for no. one day a year, that Moby Arena is actually pretty. Oh, it's electric! A dynamic atmosphere. No, yeah. I, well, I, once every two years, I guess. Yeah. in Colorado. I was
2: the, I was there that the last time. It, it's a, it's a good atmosphere. This year, there's a big talent gap. They, there. they should
1: they should not
2: lose that game, which
1: goes to the there's point. Right. Huge talent gap. It's yeah. a really yeah. big yeah. talent. They gap. They should not lose that basketball. And
2: I don't think I think Spencer and He's done. He has this little thing with CSU. He, he like actually really doesn't like CSU, and I don't think he's going to allow them to go in there because he's going to talk before that game. He's going to say something, and that he's not going to allow his teammates to go in there and play a bad game. If he doesn't talk before that game, you know Tad Boyle sat down, not
1: just for five minutes. He sat down with him for a long time because he knows that he's going to do that. I remember last year when uh, Spencer pulled out the little brother comment
2: that Tad Boyle could only shake his head, but he backed it up. So. Well, I mean, like Tad Boyle said at media day, until Spencer doesn't back up the talk with the walk, he's fine with him saying whatever he wants. So unless Spencer says something early in the season and can't back it up, then I think that he's going to keep talking.
0: Do they drop one they're not supposed to, Adam?
2: I
1: I think they will, and I don't know. I I threw CSU out there because of the atmosphere. I mean, that's really intimidating when that place is rocking. Uh, Harvard obviously, and then you've got just. I mean, what was the game last year? They went to overtime with some team that had a losing Texas record. Southern. Oh God! And it, it, there's you know there's a moment like that that seems to happen for this team for whatever reason. Yes, I, I think one of those games. Like I said, I think they beat Oklahoma State, so I think they'll end
2: non-conference yeah. with three losses,
0: double overtime with Texas Southern too. I mean, they did yeah. not deserve yeah. to win that game. Quite frankly, Omar
2: Strong goes for forty in that he game. Was, I believe he was a monster. So, but. Real quick, you've
0: got them beating Oklahoma State, losing a Baylor in Kansas, and no bad losses. So are you going eleven and two? Yeah. Eleven and two. What are you going? I
1: got them uh, three losses non conference.
0: Yeah. I got ten and 10-3, and three, 11 and two. Who I is think go ahead, go ahead. I
2: just want to talk about the Baylor game really quick. And <clears throat> I think if they're going to win that game, they have to have someone fill the role that they just did in recruiting of Tory Miller. Because there are some big guys in there. And I think Wes Gordon has to be the guy who stands in there and doesn't let the Buffs get pushed around inside. Because if they do, be- Baylor is bigger and stronger than they are inside. And if they allow Baylor to push them around in there, they're going to lose that game. I think
0: I think it's the key is going to be getting to the free throw line. With these new officiating rules, Spencer Dinwiddie is probably going to shoot 14 free throws. I mean, Baylor... Baylor's guards can't stick with Colorado on the perimeter. It's not even close. And that's that's really what sold me going in uh, into the show on Colorado getting that win. You see this, though.
1: You're talking about the new officiating rules. You see this in the NBA when they have a new point of emphasis. It's called really tight for a few games, and then these officials kind of go back to their what yeah. they're naturally used to. I, I think that will be a factor early on in the season, like you said, for the Baylor game. But – as much as some of these coaches are making this these rule changes out to be a big deal, I have a feeling maybe the the charge will have more of an impact. I think than the yeah. handshake. Yeah, no, will.
0: absolutely, absolutely. So we'll see. I mean, I think I think it's definitely a storyline to follow, and I'll you know I'll be covering it um, and have plenty of information for you guys on that going forward and coach and player reactions. Here's the, here's a question that I'm interested in, guys. Who's the leading scorer on this team going into Pack 12 play? Spencer did what he wants it to be. Josh Scott. But I don't know if this team can afford it to be Josh Scott, because I think Spencer did what he... He's the most offensive-talented player on the team. Who's the leading scorer?
2: I'm going to choose a wild card here. Um, I think Eskia Booker is going to be the leading scorer going What's his shooting percentage?
1: That's more important to me. (laughs) Uh, What did he shoot last year?
2: In the the 40s? No, he was south of 40 last year. I think he's right around 40.
0: He was like 34... 35% Thirty-five percent on the year last year, yeah.
2: Yeah, I think he's somewhere in between thirty-nine and forty-one going into Pac-12 play. I think he has a lot of it. Similar to last year, he came out hot. I think he comes out hot again this year. Thirty-nine
0: to forty-one is terrible.
2: It's better. It's better than it was last strong. year. It's and strong. he's a he's a one of those cliches. He's a volume shooter.
0: It's not even a cliche. It's like observation. <laughs> There's like so many shots going up. You know what? Yeah. Who's the leading scorer now?
1: Yeah, I think Spencer Dinwiddie is because he's, there are going to be times uh, that he's going to have to take over, like you said, with his ability to get to the free throw line. So um, Josh Scott is going to make advancements in that area, but I, I still think it's going to be his junior year until he really, really, really starts to blossom in terms of being a consistent scorer night in and night out because there's some matchups, some ways teams match up against him that can take him out of the game. I don't think teams can take
2: Spencer Dinwiddie out of a game if they if they're really going to if Spence if they're going to feed Josh Scott as much as Spencer says they're going to feed Josh Scott he very well could be the leading scorer but there's so many times where i hear them talk about how they're going to feed the post feed the post feed the post and then they really don't end up feeding the post as much as they say they're going to do it and they shoot from the perimeter so if they're really going to you know force feed Josh Scott down there then he probably will be the leading scorer
0: a name to keep an eye on for me is Xavier Johnson this kid is going to score because he cuts. He moves without the ball so much better this year. He can shoot the ball from the perimeter. Um, I, I think he is a dynamic player that is due for a breakout
2: season. So that's your pick? Yeah. Okay.
0: In the non-conference, yeah. I, I don't know why I just did that. I don't think he'll actually do it. But whatever. <laughs> Guys, scores for Friday night. Let's start with the guy who thinks they're losing.
2: Oh. Uh, I think it's going to be a... Come on now, sixty-one to fifty-eight.
0: Oh, low-scoring game, Adam. I'm gonna go um,
1: Baylor sixty-eight, Colorado sixty-five.
0: Okay, I am going to go Colorado eighty-two, Baylor seventy-seven.
2: So Colorado dictates the pace of that game.
0: I think I think they do. I think there are a lot of free throws. Well, we're gonna check it out. I can't wait to see it. I hope you guys enjoy the game. You've got our predictions on record, and uh, hope we're right.